0: We are in week six of this series we've entitled The Shadow King, and we're looking at stories all throughout the Bible that aren't pointing to the story in the Bible, they're pointing to the Son of the Living God, Jesus. And so I want to remind us that as we go in, we have been in a season of a story of David's life that is way beyond David. It's the origin stories leading up to why David was the king, why he became king, how he became king, and how God is going to use him in this season of showing us who God is. Listen, the Bible is not a story about people trying to get close to God. It is a story about God wanting to get close To people. And so David's story doesn't point us to David. Today, when we begin to um, open the curtain on the stage of human history, where David now comes out of the shadows and into the national arena of military might, it's not about David. David's story doesn't point us to David, David's story points us to Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to lock in to a special part of this story. It's a very common piece of story that you may have heard in VBS or you may have heard um, in Sunday school or spoken in church before. And if we're not careful, the familiar breeds invisibility. And so this is gonna be for many people a, a a familiar story. We hear it not just in the church, we hear it on ESPN. The underdog, David against the giant. Let's get the lights up in the house if we can. Uh, and I've, I, this, this TV is not working, guys. We need to get that affixed. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about not just this... Bible story that's a fairy tale. It isn't. Many people on the outside of the church, they use it as like David and Goliath and Jack and the Beanstalk and Cinderella. But this is a real story that really happened. And it's in first Samuel chapter 17. And here's where, here's where the story, are you coming on to join me? We're good. We're good. No, it was this TV, not that TV. You want to, hi. All right. Okay. Good. 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 All right, good. Okay. 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 1 Samuel 17, we're going to jump through this. You are going to drink from the biblical fire hose today. We're going to gallop through some geographical and spiritual terrain. But here is what I'm believing. I am believing that God is going to show you something fresh from a familiar place. New wine from an old story. We go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. The Philistines, one of the enemies of Israel... They were surrounded from the Philistines in the north, the Amalekites in the south, the Edomites from the west. They were surrounded by enemies. And the Philistines were their number one threat because the Philistines had invented something that gave them an advantage in warfare. They had invented iron forging. And so their weaponry now was stronger than bronze swords. They had iron swords. They, they were figuring it out, they were patenting this, they were going around from other to other villages. And and killing all the blacksmiths, all the all the weapon makers, so they could keep the 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 agenda. They could keep the strategic edge on warfare. And the Philistines had mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah. Now, King Saul, who's over the Israeli army, Saul had countered with a buildup of forces at Elah Valley. And so here's the situation. The Philistines and Israels faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And as they stood to fight and go to war... They engaged in something very popular. It was where one enemy would bring out a champion. The other enemy would bring out a champion. It would almost be like it's the, it's the smaller fight. It's the fight before the main event. Uh, the way they would do it is, hey, you fight me, I'll fight you. And if you win, we'll be your slaves. If I win, you'll be our slaves. And so they'd fight and someone would die and they'd fight anyway. Nobody's going to go. It was, just, it was just more like entertainment for the troops. Here comes the Philistine Hercules, Goliath. Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, he came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man. The Bible says he wore a bronze helmet, a 200 pound coat of mail, bronze leggings. Now, I'm not talking about bronze leggings, talk about bronze leggings, okay? and he carried a bronze javelin several inches thick, tipped with a 25-pound iron spearhead. That is like having an eight-foot piece of PVC pipe with a bowling ball at the end of it. That's how heavy that sucker is. And he could throw that through the air 50 yards. His armor bearer Walked ahead of him with a huge shield. So here's Goliath, a virtual monstrosity massive spear, massive sword, massive armor, massive man, and a tiny little armor bearer with a shield the size of a VW bug right there in the front of everything. Goliath steps out, he stood and he shouted across the Israelis Do you need a whole army to settle this? <laughs> I'm gonna represent the Philistines and you choose someone to represent you. Now kind of put this in the Rolodex of your mind because we're gonna come back to these thoughts a little later. You choose someone to represent you. And he would hurl insults and defy them. In fact, he would say, I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. This was overwhelming. This was intimidating. And when Saul and the Israeli army heard this, notice how Scripture doesn't play it lightly. It's not just the men. The king himself, they were all dismayed and very, very afraid. This was happening. This is in real time. And they're scared. They're intimidated and they're overwhelmed. Now, we're going to go through a few questions today because my my goal is to deconstruct this message that maybe you already feel familiar with and you're wanting to tune out and you're already thinking about where you're going to go get lunch or you're thinking about what you got to get done this afternoon. And I want us to ask some questions to deconstruct this story and see the story behind the story. The first question we would ask is this, what's the real issue here? Is the real issue Goliath? Is the real issue this, this game of thrones? Is this real issue the, the, the battle that's about to go on? Is the real issue the giant? Let me answer it this way. The real issue ain't Goliath. The real issue of this whole story is not about defeating Goliath the Philistine. Here's the issue. It's your issue and it's mine. It's the issue of the Israelis way back in the day Sure, my issue right here in 2021, the real issue that we're dealing with in this story is the cowardly people of God are always the biggest obstacle to the mission of God. Cowardly simply means without courage. They just don't have courage. Courage. It starts at the beginning of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve who had the freedom of all freedom, walking around completely innocent, completely vulnerable, completely trusting. And God says, you can eat anything, anywhere except that one little tree right there. Eat everything, enjoy everything, be fruitful and multiply, have a great time, work the field, eat it up, play it up, run it up, but don't eat that fruit. But there was something They were afraid to truly put all their trust in the wisdom of God, in the provision of God, in the protection of God. And so the enemy comes in and says to Eve, you can be wise and you can have it all and you can be as smart and as big and as you can be God too. What's he keeping from you? What's he holding you back? why is he keeping you from eating? And sure enough, in a Moment of fear that they were missing out. FOMO hits us all. Fear of missing out, FOMO. Fear of missing out of the wisdom and the goodness and the stuff that they couldn't get. They go beyond God's boundaries for their life, which we're still doing in 2021. And we became the biggest obstacle to the mission of God. We become the biggest obstacle. And so it's not that, it's not that your finances are the biggest obstacle. It's not that that marriage that's, that's distraught. It's not that it, it, it's, a, it, it's an intellectual thing. That's not your biggest obstacle. It's a lack of courage in who God says he really is. And see, the biggest insult happening was not the, not the Goliath insults to the Israelis. What was, what was the biggest insult? It wasn't that. It wasn't Goliath's blasphemous words. Could it be that the biggest insult was Israelis' blasphemous lack of confidence? In an all-powerful God, that them standing there shaking in their armor, shaking in their leather sandals, shaking in their helmets, this is what God's trying to show them. When he exodused them hundreds of years earlier out of Egypt, he says, trust me, I'm going to give you a cloud by day. I'm going to give you a fire by night. I'm going <laughs> to split the Red Sea. I'm going to put bread in the desert ground every single day. That's bitter water. That's okay. Throw a piece of wood in it. Now it's good water. Drink the water. You're sick. I'm going to take care of you. You're hurting. I'm going to heal you. You're afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll give you the victory. And yet they couldn't trust in an all-powerful God they make a golden calf to worship they want to do it on their own they're standing at the edge of the of the promised land and they they believed in the cowardice of two spies instead of the other uh, in ten spies instead of the two that said we can do it they struggled with trusting in one true God who wanted to be their king this is another reason why they had King Saul in the first place, because they couldn't put their real hope in the one true king of all kings. They wanted to do it their own way. And it's the same with us. We tend to be afraid of trusting him and leaning on him and yielding to him. You know what trust is? Trust is answering the question you've been trying to answer since birth, am I safe? You know, a little child that's in your arms and you and say, like, come here, come here, and they're like, Ugh no stranger danger they don't trust that person they don't know if they are safe becky at work becky's all man yeah you got to walk around eggshells anybody got a becky you got to walk around you're like yeah i'm married to him Walking around eggshells around Becky, it's not the eggshells that's the issue, it's the trust that's the issue because you don't know if you can trust to say the right thing or, or mention this or this, and so you walk on eggshells. Marriages that have eggshells is not an eggshell issue, it's a trust issue. It's a trust issue, am I safe? And God is wanting to show us through this story thousands of years ago today, you can trust me, you can lean on me, you don't have to lean on your own understanding in all your ways. If you'll yield to me, I'll give you the victory, I'll make your path straight, but you got an issue with courage and trust, and so do I. This didn't just happen one moment. For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted you, 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 Strutted against the armies of Israel. Strutted his stuff. You got nothing on me. Can I say something to you? When you go day in and day out listening to the wrong voices, you're going to struggle with courage too. You're going to struggle with direction too. And do you know the voice that we tend to listen to? The number one voice you listen to your entire life, listen to me, the number one voice you listen to your entire life is not your dad's, it's not your mom's, it's not your spouse's, it's yours. Your voice in your head is the most prevalent voice in your life all the time. And it's amazing how the enemy can begin to put on your tape recorder that you keep rolling back and forth, back and forth. Every day morning, I, I'm not enough, or I can't do this, or I've gotta do this in order to do, my identity is in this, and they're never gonna trust. And man, why don't they do this? And I wish, and oh, I've got all this regret, and you wear this shame, and you wear this guilt, and you do all this stuff, and 40 days, it's not been 40 days, it's been 40 years for you. Some of you are on a tape recorder, morning and evening, looking in the mirror, I can't, I won't, I'm not, I wish. Why didn't it? Why couldn't I? And it's not about like achieving your dreams and like reaching for the stars. It has to do with who you are and whose you are and your identity and the insecurities that you deal with and I deal with. And if you're not careful, those voices will paralyze you in front of the enemy. And there they were completely paralyzed in fear of an enemy that God had already promised he would defeat if they would just trust in an all-powerful God. That's where they are. Now take the drone shot and come up off of this valley at Elah and move about 24 or so miles down into another part of the Middle East into a little town called Bethlehem. And meanwhile, back at the ranch. The army's up on the valley at Elah, facing the Philistines, and back at the ranch in Bethlehem is the house of Jesse. Jesse's got eight boys. The youngest has been anointed. He don't even know what that looks like. He was anointed to be the next king, and he goes out, and he's, he's working the pasture. Do not despise your days in the pasture, everybody. Don't despise those pasture days. God's building something in you behind the scenes. David is behind the scenes for for a few years. Jesse, his oldest boys have been drafted into the Israeli military. His top three boys, the strongest, the brightest, they are serving in the National Guard and they are at the Valley of Elah and David is singing songs and writing songs and playing the banjo and tending to the sheep while the three oldest, are facing the giant every single day. And so Jesse goes and, and sends word to David, hey, bring David to the house. And so they come out on the four-wheeler, David, your dad wants you to come on back to the ranch. And he says, okay, he j- jumps into his yellow single cab Dotson pickup truck, gets in there, it's got rust over the back wheel, you know the one. Wheels it all into the dad and up to dad's house, walks into the living room, says, Dad, you call me? He says, Hey, take this sack of groceries and this wine and those lunchables and, and this bread and, and, and these Capri Suns, and I want you to take them over to the battlefield. And here's what I want you to do: tell them we're praying for them, tell them it's gonna be okay, and get with your brothers, get a report, and then send it back to me. Why? Because there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook. There is no newspaper thrown at the front of Jesse's house. So the only way to get word is to send stuff and bring word back. So sure enough, the very next day, David leaves the the sheep. He's such a good leader, even at a young age. He doesn't leave the sheep all to themselves. He gets another shepherd, take care of the sheep. He jumps in the Datsun, and he heads out to the valley of Elah. The story picks up. In verse 20, David arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israeli army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. It's early in the morning, the fog hasn't yet lifted. The men have stretched in their own camp and now they are marching out to the battlefield. They don't have their, their tents set up right at the valley. They're back a little ways and they're marching out and it says with shouts and battle cries. Now I can imagine, that on day one, the shouts and the battle cries sounded a lot like We will, we will, Kill the Philistine horde, kill the Philistine horde Okay And day two And day three And they're face to waste with Goliath And about day 40 Day 40 The war cry's changing Okay We will Who will rock you? They started with a song, probably sounded something like, Saul has slain his thousands. That's why we wanted him king. Saul has slain his thousands. He is our mighty king. But day 40, they're not feeling very good. Day 40, they're discouraged. Day 40, they don't know why they're even going through this thing. They're intimidated, and they're cowardly, and they're frozen. David shows up to this scene and David doesn't know what's going on. It's his first day. And so David comes with an energy that they first had 40 days earlier that now they're wiped out. And he's wondering why, because he's excited. He's had the spirit of God in his life. He's seen some stuff already in the pasture and he can't wait. And he's small. He's still in his smaller manhood. He hasn't quite reached the muscles of, of adolescence. He's, he's still got skinny legs and lay, uh, knees of a camel and tousled hair and a sunburned nose. And, and he's he left the banjo in the truck, and he's got the groceries, and he's walking in, and he can't see what's going on. Everybody's lined up, and so he's kind of like, you know, hey, you know, he's squeezing through, kind of looking around, and all the men are standing there, kind of shaking, like, you okay, Keith? I'm okay, Derek. Are you okay? And David gets curious. Da- David's like, like, what's going on? Like, why why is this? Why is this? He's all geeked up. Like, who's it going to be? Who's the the champion going to face? Who's the champion that's going to face Goliath? Because Goliath comes out and says, what's up, wimps? David's like, oh, I know he didn't. Oh, oh, you're going to get it. Who's going to get him? And I wonder if the Israelis are also like, is somebody going to step up? And they look at the tallest guy in the, in the battalion. He's like, my rotator cuff, dude. Seriously, like, I, I would, I would, I would. But like, ugh. Oh. Next tallest, he's like, I had chili last night. I can't even, I can't even move right now. Another guy's like, you, you, I, I, I got too much to lose. You do it. Don't be looking at me. David is like, are you kidding me? Nobody's, nobody's going to face this guy. And so David is curious. He asks the question, hey, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his insults to Israel? He asked them, who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyway, that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Are you kidding me? Oh, I know he didn't. What will a man get? Well, there was there was three things the man would get that Saul had already promised. You would be rich. I'm gonna give you riches. I'm gonna give you one of my daughters as your wife. You're gonna become royalty and you don't even have to pay taxes the rest of your life. And everybody's like, what? And David's like, rich? No taxes? A wife? I'm 15. <laughs> He's like, which wife is it? Which daughter is it? Because I've seen them all. There's a few that I like. There's a couple. <laughs> which one is it? Three different times in six scriptures, David asks the question, what do you get? What do you get? What do you get? Can I tell you, when you're face to face with obstacles, sometimes you got to remind yourself of the long-term reward to face the short-term risk. And there are times where life comes at you, and it would be easier to play it safe. It would be easier to to fudge the numbers. It would be easier to not live in integrity, but you got to remind yourself the Long-term reward is better to face the short-term risk remembering, okay, no, no, God's done this. God can do this. There, there, there is an inheritance here. There is something powerful out here. And David was not only confident in the power of God, but he was keeping the main things, the main things. This short-term risk is so worth this reward. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine back? He, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now listen, I don't know why everybody's so like, they are just like, so, why do they talk about the male anatomy so much in the Old Testament? I don't know. <laughs> uncircumcised this, uncircumcised this, blah, 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 circumcision. <sighs> well, it was, it was part of being part of God's family. It was, it was a sign of covenant relationship with God. Now that's Old Testament, that's not New Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. That's not part of our starting point class. You know, <laughs> you know? In order to be a part of Timber Creek, you go through four weeks. It's like the fourth week, but what would it be like? How would our numbers drop if the fourth week is like, hey, so glad you're part of Timber Creek. Hey, all you guys, if you'll just go back behind the Nacogdoches campus, we got one more thing we need to do. They're like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to First Baptist, okay? Like, I'll explain that in a second. I'll explain why it's not—it's not a fixation; it's a reminder of covenant relationship. Now, in this—in this moment, somehow, as David's going, well, well, I'll kill him. I'll—I'll kill him. I'm—I'm gonna kill that giant. I'm gonna marry the king's daughter. News travels back to one of the tents where his oldest brother, Eliab, is playing some Texas Hold'em and having a little lunch. One of the other guards comes in, takes a drink of a canteen, throws it down and says, huh, Hey, uh, Eliab, your little brat brother's out there talking about how he's going to beat the giant, how he's killed a lion and a bear. You better go get him before he gets killed because people are getting frustrated that he's walking around talking a big game. And Eliab, the Bible says, is ticked. He's furious. He's burning with anger. I don't know if this is because he was never chosen king and he was the firstborn and maybe he deserved it. Maybe he's got his own insecurities or maybe he's embarrassed. He's with his peers and his little brat brother. I mean, when you're the oldest of eight and the eighth child is walking around talking smack, you, you, you wanna not talk smack, you wanna smack. I mean, can you imagine growing up, like, like how many of you grew up as the oldest? How many grew up as the oldest? Yeah, yeah, you know the pain. You know, it's like everything is And when you're the youngest, like, oh, like, you know, it's like everything lightens up for the, how many of you are the youngest? And you're like, no, it wasn't like that for me. It's because you're the youngest, you don't even know. You don't even know how you got it so easy. And the oldest, the oldest, he's kicked off at his at his little bro, Davy. See so gets his gear and he gets out of the tent and takes one more bite and throws down the lamb chop. He finds David, grabs him by the nap of the neck. Bible said, grabs him, pulls him away from everything. And the King James says it, he says like this: I know the naughtiness of your heart. You, the, the living Bible says it like this: you cocky little brat. <laughs> you cocky little brat. You're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be out there with the sheep manure and the sheep. You're out here trying to act like you're a real man. Get your butt back home. And David looks at him as he's grabbing him by the collar of the shirt. And David says this question. Is there not a cause? I'm not, I'm not here trying to... This is, Dad, br- Dad brought me. The Cheez-Its are right there. Is there not a cause? Eliab had the wrong thing as the main thing. Eliab was dealing with his own cowardice and his lack of courage, and he didn't even see it. Many times the the reactions from people are not always directed at you. You get the brunt of it, but it's because they're dealing with their own king issues in life. They're dealing with their own stuff. Hurt people hurt people. And Eliab's hurting, and he's afraid, and he's scared. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this. God God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. So David says, Eliab, bro, we cannot stand here another day. We are God's people. We're God's people. What are we thinking? And he went on to say, I will fight this guy. And news travels And so when it was finally realized what David meant, like I'm going to face this dude. Someone told King Saul and the king sent for him. Saul already knows David. David has been playing the harp for Saul in, the, in his uh, uh, bed chambers at night when Saul is wrestling and he's depressed and he's anxious and he can't sleep and restless leg syndrome. He's, he just can't, there's no sequel at the time. And, and so, so, so like, I don't know about you, but harp music ain't gonna be soothing for me. But back in the day, it was soothing for Saul. So, you know, let Saul, let Saul live his best life, okay? And so she already knows David's strong and David's good and David, but all he sees him is, as a harpist, as a little boy harpist. And David shows up into the king's quarters there in the valley. And David says, hey, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing. I'll take care of this Philistine. <laughs> and you know Saul's response. Don't be ridiculous. How can a kid like you fight with a man like him? You are only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. you going to get, he's going to bite your head off, literally. But David wasn't going to be stopped. David persisted. Saul, let me break it down for you, my king. I'm taking care of my father's sheep, and a lion or a bear comes and grabs a lamb from the flock. I go after it with a club, and I take the lamb from its mouth. I, I ain't scared. But it's not just about what he does. David turns it full circle and he says, yeah, I go after it with a club. But then the next line of what David says, the Lord who saved me from the claws and teeth of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. He's recognizing the source of his strength is not his military prowess, is not his ability to take the club in his hand. I wonder if we could get this right. What if this was the year the church could get right that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses and some trust in political preferences and some trust in this kind of power and that kind of power, but you and I are designed to trust in the name of the Lord whose hand is really the one that's on your hand that has the club. He's the hand that moves everything. God's got this, David says. Saul even Saul still doesn't quite get it. He's like, oh, this little boy, the blood is gonna be on my hands. He's committed, he's crazy. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? So Saul does the best thing he knows to do and Saul gave David his own armor. It's like sitting here on a mannequin. It's still got the price tag on it. It's a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, and David put it on, strapped the sword over it. it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. This is fresh. He's a baby in the military. I can hardly move, he exclaimed, and took them off again. I mean, he's walking through the tent. Looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. So I can't do this. I can't even move. How am I going to, I mean, at least if I got to run, I can't go anywhere. I wonder if some of you right now, isn't that silly, but isn't that you? Because you're you're relying on the armor of your grandma or your grandpa. You're relying on the prayers of your spouse. You got your own theories about God. You got your own understanding of stuff. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to do me. You do you. I'll do me. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm, I'm saying that to urge you. God wants to tailor to fit who he is. He doesn't change his story or what he does, but he wants to meet you where you are. And you, You're not designed to wear someone else's faith. You're designed to walk out and live in your own faith. I'm so thankful for the scripture that says, train up a child in the way he goes. and When he's old, he won't depart from it. That is so misinterpreted to think as long as my kids were in church early on, they'll always be Christians. That, that's not true at all. They can run away from God just like anybody can run away from God. The departing is, is the knowledge of it, knowing those are seeds, they're seeds, but they will not walk in your armor. I watched my daughter walk across the stage last night. They said her name and tears trickled down my cheeks a big step in her life of graduating high school. And I wonder, oh my God, have I, have I prepared her? And my first response as a parent, I want to put on armor. She's got to figure out her armor. She's got to figure out her, her relationship with God. I guide her, I point her like an arrow in the bow. But she's, got to, she's got to choose and so do you. Yes. You got to choose. Don't let today end. Don't let 40 days go by listening to the wrong voices. Today is an opportunity before I close this message. You're gonna have an opportunity to choose to step out in your own faith that's strong enough, that's big enough, and that's designed for you. David didn't need the golden armor, the bronze armor of Saul. He said, I got this, God's got this. So David leaves the tent and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them in his shepherd's bag. And armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to Goliath. What? What? Everybody's talking, they're talking, and they're eating the lunchables, and all of a sudden they see, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like the record scratch. <laughs> David's walking out to the field. That boy's gonna get killed. Who lost their kid? Who lost their kid? He's got his weapon in his hand. But let me ask question number two. What's the real weapon? See, we know what the real issue is. The real issue isn't a giant. The real issue is cowardice in the people of God. The real weapon isn't a leather strap and a stone. It's not a slingshot. The real weapon. Is courage. The weapon isn't what he has in his hand, it's what he has in his heart. And there are two kinds of courage. There's courage fueled by fire, fueled by craziness, like like a group of soldiers hunkered down in a foxhole under enemy fire that have no choice but to jump out. Courage under fire that forces them to jump out, machine guns blazing, running to the next place in order to maybe save their own lives or save their partner's lives. And that's courage under fire. They have no choice. If they don't move, they'll die. That's courage, but that's not what is propelling David. Courage not fueled by fire, but is courage fueled by faith. And it's not faith in David's ability. He's a boy. It's fueled by faith in a covenant-keeping God. See, you know why David calls Goliath the uncircumcised Philistine? Because David was part of a group of people that were set apart wholly unto God, and the symbolic thing was circumcision. It was a heart issue represented by a physical thing, like like baptism, water baptism. 27 people got baptized last week, everybody, at the Lufkin location alone. What? It's not holy water, it's not holy water. It's an outward expression, it's a symbolic expression of an inward change. And when he says uncircumcised Philistine, what he's doing is saying, this guy is the enemy who is not living With the promises of God. We have the promises of God. We have the one true God. We have the holy God. This guy isn't set apart. How could he even stand against what God wants to do? It's courage fueled by faith, even a covenant keeping God David is operating. He said, God killed that lion, Saul. God killed that bear, Saul. And every other person on the military line is saying, this guy's too big to beat. And David's like, this guy's too big to miss. (laughs) Sure enough, courage fueled by faith in a covenant-keeping God. No sword, no shield. Goliath is taunting. He's walking there, and here comes David out there. Goliath's like, Whoa, Who sent me the baby to spank? And Goliath's taunting and insulting and, and, and making fun of him. And, and David's over there, and Goliath's stomping his feet Come here, little boy, I'm gonna feed you to the birds and use your leg bones for toothpicks. And David's got his little feet in the brook, and he splashes his little sandals and says, Yo, mama. He says, what'd you say about my mama? He says, forget that. Today, the Lord will conquer you. The Lord will conquer you. And I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna gonna kill you. I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know. I mean, David is like on a rant. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And I want to tell you, the reason why God gives you the power and the authority for him to conquer the giants in your life is so that not just you'll feel good. We celebrate now 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. It's called Pentecost Sunday. It's the day that the Holy Spirit Spirit fell on the 120, gathered in a a gathering place at the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And on that day, Peter stands up with boldness having denied Christ 50 days earlier. Now he's emboldened by the Holy Spirit to speak the message of Christ through the chaos in a way that makes sense to the people. That's what Pentecost is. Pentecost isn't a certain way you dress. Pentecost isn't a certain goosebump that you get. It's not about how flashy we can get and how big the flags are that we wave. Pentecost has nothing to do with Spiritual goosebumps. Has nothing to do with entertaining people. Unfortunately, Pentecostal culture has kind of turned it into that. It's perverted it. What a shame. The most powerful gift that God could ever give to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we would be bold, so the whole world would know that there is a God. And we relegate it to us feeling good about it. Church services designed to be internally focused instead of externally empowered. So on this day of Pentecost, the same spirit that is anointing David, that same spirit can dwell in you. And it's not, it's not just so you can go around slinging stones and conquering giants and fighting your battles. It's so that the world will know that there's hope that you don't have to be paralyzed in fear. You don't have to be stuck in the insecurities. You don't have to continue to let that tape recorder that's on loop for 40 years in your life keep telling you that you're not enough. You, if you will surrender, you are a son and a daughter of the king. Listen, listen to me. Just because you're created by God doesn't mean you're a son or daughter of God. What? Yeah. Just because you can create children doesn't make you a dad. You're not a father just because you can, can create a kid you're a father because of presence in someone's life that's what makes you a father And what I want to say to you is God God makes you a son or daughter he created you but the only way you really understand a sonship and a, a daughter of God is when you allow him to be your heavenly father and to guide you and to let you know you don't you don't have to stand there by yourself naked and afraid facing your giant's But I will conquer them, not just for you to feel good. I'll conquer them so you and the world will know. And Israel will learn that the Lord doesn't depend on weapons to fulfill his plans. He works without regard to human means. He can do it however he jolly well pleases. He'll give you to us. And in that moment, Goliath has had enough of this cocky little brat Goliath says, armor bearer, let's go. And the armor bearer hands him the heavy spear. And Goliath says, I'm coming after you, boy. And David's like, bring it on. And I mean this monstrosity. Like a lion to a gazelle, Goliath begins. And when his movement starts, he's big like a giant, but but he's agile and he's strong, and he's afraid. And Eliab, second old, uh, David's older brother's in the line. Watch, he just passes out. Like, oh, David's dead. David's dead, oh God. Goliath begins to run, I'm gonna kill you. Ah! David steps back and puts a hand in a leather bag, pulls out his leather strap and places one stone in the strap. And it's almost like everything else gets fuzzy as David begins to wind up in just one slow motion. (laughs) And everything's quiet. And Goliath is screaming, and the armor bearer holding the huge shield is running. Get him, G! Get him. David. All of a sudden, things go back into real time, and that slingshot is like a helicopter blade. <laughs> David doesn't even stand still. The Bible says David ran for the giant. David bolts forward in that little teenage boy body, confident in the spirit of God. And like a like in a flicker, in, in a in a like, like you, you almost like, did you see that? Did, did you see it? It was like all of a sudden that stone becomes a bullet and, and in an unbelievable moment, boom, the stone bursts from the leather strap at, the, at, the, at a speed hardly, rec- you can't even see it through the air. And Goliath full force meets this stone between his eyes. And before Goliath can even say, "Ow," Goliath doesn't even catch himself. His hands just fall numb, and in a full-force run, this lion falls and slides to an abrupt, dusty halt. And the Israelites are like, hey, and the Philistines are like, OMG. <laughs> now, he could have been just knocked out, could have been just kind of driven unconscious with a stone. That could happen. But David continues toward him. Everybody, they're, they're they, they, what, like, it's silent. David's walking toward the giant. The armor bearer that's in front of him is like, I, I, I forgot something. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> And everybody's wondering, is the giant tricking him? Is the giant going to get up? Is Goliath going to swing around with the dagger that's hidden hidden in his bronze legging? Get David? But it's not until David comes on with no sword and no spear. And I wonder if David had this. I don't know. I, the, the scripture doesn't give, it, give us all of it. But I wonder if, as the youngest child, there were moments where everybody's around the table eating dinner. And David... Walks in late and sits down at the table and says, guys, you'll never believe what happened in the pasture today. And Jesse, the dad, says, what happened, David? He's like, man, I killed a, a lion with my bare hands. And a lion of the old is like, spank his bottom. He's a liar. You're a liar. Shut up, liar. Pants on fire. And David's like, no, I did. I, I, I. And, and, and could you, couldn't you hear Jesse as the, as the, as the dad say, okay, Davy. okay, okay, big stories. Next time you do that, bring us us his head so you can prove it, okay? And David kind of like locks that in. Back to the battlefield. David puts a foot on the back of the giant, and he's motionless. David doesn't have a hidden sword. He takes the sword of the giant. I don't even know. Can you imagine how big this sucker is? (laughs) The Bible says he killed him. Doesn't say he just cut off his head. The Bible says he killed him, so he's right there, and he goes, bah! And the Philistines are like, "Uh uh-oh. But to make matters crazier... I don't know if it was one time or 15 times or however long it takes to cut off a giant's head, but at some point it's like, ha, ha, ha! People are screaming, what is going on? The Israel's is like, ha! Ah. And then David's like, ah! And Goliath's head just hanging there like, ah. You may not get anything out of this. I'm having a good time, everybody. Uh-uh. I'm just letting out all kinds. I had a daughter graduate. I'm just going to preach today, okay? And he holds on and he shows the Israelites. And the Israelites surge forward against the Philistine rebellion. And the Philistines drop their weapons and run. As we conclude today, David is pursuing now all the way to their hometown in Gath. And the Israelites, are there's this new hope, there's this new courage that's built because of this hero, David. <laughs> Later on, they'll come back victorious and they'll march through the capital city of Gibeah Saul will be in the chariot and he'll be in his gold armor that doesn't have a scratch on it. And they'll be singing the shouts. They'll be, the war cry will be happening again. They'll be the strongest shouts they've ever had. But Saul is gonna come face to face with a major challenge in his own ego and in his own kingdom. Because now instead of Saul slaying his thousands, he is the king we wanted. Now they're singing. Saul has slain his thousands. But David, his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul's jealous pride is going to drive him to become the key enemy in the next king's life. We'll unpack that next week. But as we finish today, (laughs) who's the real hero? Obviously, David, David's the hero. And how many of you would like to be the hero of the story? I want to be David. I I definitely don't want to be the Israelites. I definitely don't want to be Goliath. I don't want to be Saul. I want to be David. Can I give it to you as plain as I can give it to you? You ain't David. I ain't David. Who's the real hero? The the real hero in this story, it's not David. Now, that's that's the... That's the story, but it's not the story that really points us to the purpose of the story. Do you remember what Goliath himself said? I will represent the Philistines and you choose someone to represent you. But the Israelites didn't. Saul didn't. They did not choose anyone to represent them. So David stood up on his own. David chose, by his own free will, to represent all of those people on the biggest battlefield of his life. He stood up when nobody else asked him to stand up. But he was fueled by courage to take on the greatest enemy. Can I tell you something? There is a king who you did not choose To represent you, but you are represented by him. He stood up, left heaven's throne room, took on the form of a very servant, lived a perfect sinless life to be your representative. Who's the real hero of this story? Jesus is the hero. Jesus is our unexpected representative who steps into the stage of human history and tackles and defeats the greatest giant your life will ever face. And he represents you on the battlefield. You ain't representing you on the battlefield. You're behind him and he's the one that goes before you. He is victorious. Because of what he does, you're victorious. And in Christ... In Christ, your unexpected representative, I don't have to be afraid of death. What can death do to me except put me into the presence of God? I, I don't have to be afraid of the future flying out of control. I don't, have to be, I don't have to be afraid of the disapproval of others. My older brother who just thinks I'm a cocky little brat, I don't have to be afraid of that. I can end Christ in the spirit of God in me. I don't have to be afraid. I have the approval of the only one whose opinion really matters. That's what David had, and it's what you have. And it's not because of what David did. It's because you have it, not because of what you could do. You have it because of what Jesus has done, everybody. That's the gospel in this story. And what's the real giant? The real giant isn't this big old thing that you're gonna slay. It's the giant that he slays. And do you know the biggest giant that you face is a big problem? The problem behind all our other problems is our separation from God. And that's Jesus, your unexpected representative who takes on all the shame of the world, all of the sin of the world, and he exchanges places with you when you should have died. He dies in your place so that you can be victorious over sin because you can't fix it on your own. And the problem you have is not the financial issue, is not the marriage issue, is not the addiction issue. The real problem, those are issues, but the real problem behind all the problems is who's gonna be your king? Who's gonna be your representative. I make a really poor representative for myself. But the son of the living God of the cosmos wants to be and already has been your representative. So if Jesus is the hero, if Jesus is David in the story, who are we in the story? Who are are we in the story? Do you know who we are? (laughs) We're the Israelites who did nothing but gained everything. We stand on the sideline of life not able to do anything to earn a victory. And we watch as Jesus defeats the greatest foe, and that's sin and death. That's what Jesus did for you. Jesus isn't a religion thing. He's not a big man upstairs thing. He's a, I'm going to conquer the greatest enemy you'll ever have, thing. And I'm not gonna do it and then force you to follow me. But if you'll see what he's done, see what he did, it ought to make you well up with some courage. So, how should we respond today? How do we respond to this great king, this hero of heroes? Well, we respond like the Israelites, because that's who we are in the story. When when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And I love the next line. Then, and I believe it was only then, the Israelis gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So how should we respond? Here's the good news. Jesus conquers the biggest giant of your life, separation from God. And because Jesus took out the real giant in my life, I can now bravely face all the lesser giants. The Israelites surged forward. They had courage. They had faith in their leader. And you can face a prodigal son or daughter with confidence in a loving God. You can face tomorrow because he lives. You can face the future because of who he is and what he has done, not because of your strategizing and your financial plans. You can give your marriage into the hands of the great warrior king, Jesus. Not because of what you can do, but because of what he will do. That's the real king. And he calls each and every one of us to bow a knee to him. Oh, can I just be your pastor for a minute and just tell you, I wish you had the, I wish wish you could have the peace that I have and I wish you could have... The hope that I have and I wish you could have some of the, even the faith and the courage that I have. I wish I could give it to you. But I want you to know it's not what I mustered up. It's because Jesus is just continually showing himself faithful in my life. It's not about me being perfect because, oh my goodness, I have failed. I have stood there in front of opposition and I've been a coward just like the Israelis. I have I'm not talking about years ago before I became a pastor. I'm talking about like 2020. I'm talking about 2021. I'm talking about Thursday. I'm not someone who has it all together, but I am someone who knows the person who has it all together. And if you will lean on him, stop leaning on yourself. It's time. It's time. God put this day, May 23rd, this intersection of opportunity. You thought you were just getting dragged to church today. I'm telling you, this is the opportunity. You get to meet the hero of heroes today who will fight your battles. And you can follow him bravely anywhere. But you gotta follow. Would you close your eyes, all locations? And maybe that's you. Let me talk to two people. The first, you're here and you're on the throne of your heart and it's time to surrender and you know it and your heart is beating heavy in your chest because you realize, I'm missing some stuff. I've missed it. I I don't know what to do next. Jesus loves you and he is not mad at you. He will not force you to follow him, but he has done all that is necessary so that you can trust him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. So maybe you would say this prayer and I'll be your tour guide in this prayer. You'd say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I I see myself as kind of sitting on the throne of my heart and I'm stepping up, I'm stepping back and I'm inviting you, be the king of my life. I don't even know what your kingdom looks like, but I want you to be king and I wanna take next steps to follow you. Thank you for giving this, this, me this moment. I, you are who you say you are. You are the ultimate David. You are the ultimate fighter. You're the ultimate champion. You're the ultimate savior. And I, I give myself to you today. Just surrender to him. And there are others in the room that he is on the throne of your life, but you have been trying to face battles on your own and you have, you've allowed the complacency and maybe the, the cowardice to creep up. I know I'm guilty. I just invite you to take a deep breath and give it to Jesus now. The fight of your marriage, the fight of the finances, the fight of the emotion, the fight of the addiction, the fight of the struggle, the fight of the regret, the fight of the shame. Those are lesser giants. God has conquered, Jesus has conquered the biggest giant in your life. Now rest in him. And with courage, follow him. And be confident that he will slay the lesser giants in your life. Trust him now. See him work. See him move. See him run ahead of you. And trust him. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Would you say amen?